All right, everybody, welcome to the Musical Splitting Podcast. I am your host and literal personification of being miserable, <laughs> Kava Tahari. And I am just that cheerful, happy counterpoint that knows in the back of her head that she's going to die one day. Uh, I'm Angelina Mian. Hi. And uh, <laughs> we are. St- and today we are joined by a very special guest. Yes. She is a New York Times bestselling author, but more importantly, the co-founder of this podcast. Yes. Please welcome back our friend, Lindsay Ellis. Yes, just I'm out of jail after 19 years stealing a <laughs> loaf of bread. And I'm very, I'm very happy to be with you on this momentous, yeah, on this momentous occasion. One loaf of bread, but... I don't know. If you ever go to uh, the Olive Garden, I'm very happy to take a never-ending bread bowl off their hands. That's true. Uh, Lots of breadsticks. You know, so it's very yeah. relatable. Oh, this would never have been a problem. Don't, don't steal it. Don't steal it. They'll, no. they'll get you. We are doing the mega musical Les Miserables. The and, uh, musical. At the, long last. The, yes. the, 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 the mother load. People have been asking why we hadn't done this one yet. And, you know, dear listeners, just so you know, this was being held in the back pocket because these two lovely ladies knew that inevitably it would come to town and that I would have to suffer IRL. None of this pro yeah. shot or like. No Tom Hooper yeah. nonsense. Know, there, well, I mean, it. there is no pro shot. Right. Because Tom Hooper is not a professional, A. And B, <laughs> like, the only um, uh, actual, you know, recordings are, are concert recordings, which, you know, they'll give you the gist, but they're really, they're just, they're not people acting. They're people in costume walking up to a mic and singing it. Um, and it's it's kind of awkward to watch, although honestly, it's not that dissimilar from the experience of it because that <laughs> people like it is literally Singing three times. hours of people at the front of the stage singing yes. to the audience. Yes. To the back oh. of the theater, yeah. just putting it's all the emotions. I was just thinking about like how there's this line at like one of the very first lines in the show is this prisoner going how long, oh Lord, before you let me die. <laughs> and like, it made me, <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but that made me, I was like, Kavi's going to see that guy yeah. and he's going to be like, I, yes. That's my favorite character. <laughs> that's my guy. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it that's me. my yeah. guy. Because Jacques, <laughs> Jacques up there gets me. Some people, some people lock onto, you know, Eponine. Some people lock onto Angela. Kava's going to lock onto how long, oh Lord, before you let me die guy and be like, that's who I'm about. That's the character that yeah. I yeah. identify with. Built as also it's like the it's the hunchback from Notre Dame guy and that's what he's in the credits <laughs> right. just like that um but yeah, yeah uh, I got into the show right around the same time I had met you. It was like after Phantom. It was like after the Phantom had kind of died down. I I yeah. found like you needed a, you needed yeah. another hit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was the same way because yeah. uh, I got uh, I, mean, I forget how I got the uh, hold of the. Um, Broadway symphonic recording, or maybe it was the uh, London cast. I, forget. I think, I think, uh, I hate that I remember this. I'm pretty sure you were the Broadway, you were the symphonic recording, and I was the original London cast yeah, recording. Because, yeah. because the, the symphonic had Colm Wilkinson, question mark. It did, but uh, it also had a lot more of the music, like the original London cast recording, which is the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has a bunch of stuff cut, but it also has a couple of things that got cut over time. There's a lot to Les Mis. The lore's deep. Yeah, because uh, like the symphonic recording was the one I knew, and it was all three hours yeah. every single word so it's a good thing Kavit you and I are not seeing this on the same day <laughs> or anywhere near each other because I know every word <laughs> every 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 syllable every utterance oh dear lord especially one day more which have you seen South Park bigger longer and uncut 
I've seen South Park, yeah. So you know how there's this uh, medley towards the middle where they're singing about how, like, tomorrow we're going to go do the thing? That is a direct parody of Les Mis. And yeah. it is uh, one of the more karaoke-friendly group numbers you'll ever see. All of that together especially sounds like my worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 there's, I'll go be real. There's absolutely no singing in groups. People see, there's none of that. There's absolutely none of that in the show. There's no people singing singing at the same time. It's all, that that doesn't happen. Am I going to need to bring like noise canceling headphones in case I have like a meltdown in the middle of this? (laughs) Oh man, how how many, you want to talk about how many characters are in this show. It takes place between 1816 and... In 1832? 1815, you were so close. 1815, <laughs> yeah. So it yeah. takes place over a, of a period of, of about two decades. Yeah. Over which, you know, people die, yeah. people have kids, yeah. people... It's, it's very war and peace, but unlike mm-hmm. Great Comet, which only centers on a very small chunk, yeah. Lemus just eats they, the whole thing. They clip. go for it. Like, <laughs> the biggest, <laughs> the greatest tome in French history, the musical... Uh, gets it all, and it's a it's a stunningly faithful adaptation. Yeah. It is probably the most faithful adaptation of. I think I think I've seen I've seen most of them because like during my Les Mis phase, <laughs> I rented every single movie, including like the French one from 1931 and that weird one from the 90s. Oh, with uh, Uma Thurman and uh, was, yeah, or, yeah, and then there was another one that was like another French one that was like more more like inspired by. Yeah, mm-hmm. do you remember that one? Like, was that with Gerard Depardieu? No, no I mean, yeah, mean, maybe, maybe it was. It was like it took place during World War Two. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it was, it was really weird. Yeah. yeah, and like the main character was like, I'm like Jean Valjean, and it was called. Lame, it was the weirdest thing. Anyway, so yeah, notes time. <laughs> yeah, let's get to the notes. <laughs> yeah, and then we can then we can talk about the shit billion adaptations. <laughs> I was gonna say, have you guys both read the book? I yes. Assume? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah well, okay. that face had. I guess okay. it's been a. Mi- yeah. I don't think I like. I haven't read the whole thing since I was in high school. <laughs> and yeah. um, but we did a. Uh, it's lit about it because um, PBS had this masterpiece theater uh, thing that was a yet another adaptation of Les Mis that was a miniseries starring um, uh, Dominic a, Cooper. A, yeah. No. No. It was Dominic. Something else. He, he was King Charles from The Crown. Yeah, of, uh, you know the guy from The Wire. <laughs> Do, yeah, Dominique, whatever, yeah. and uh, David Oyelowo, I think, was Javert. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's pretty good. It definitely it had its moments, but it, it was not the, one of the more memorable ones. But like, so they had us do a tie-in promo for Les Mis, which was uh, so we did an it's lit episode about it. So like that that was like the more re- like the the most recent refresher both of us had. I think. I've only read like the first couple of chapters in French in French class when I was in high school. Oh, wow. So. Oh, wow. Think, well, that's authentic. I think, yeah. I, I remember reading up until the part where like the priest, you know, says you stole my plates. But then he's like, no, it's not. It's cool. He didn't steal my plates. And he's like, that was my gift. And also here's more plates. That's the extent. of <laughs> Yeah. Talk about Victor Hugo's very conflicted feelings about the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's complicated. Anyway. Things. Okay. Les Miserables is a sung-through musical with music by Claude-Michel Schoenberg, lyrics by Alan Boubile and Jean-Marc Natel, and a book by Schoenberg and Boubile. It is based on the 1862 novel of the same name by Victor Hugo. With a plot spanning nearly 20 years and featuring a slim cast of dozens compared to the novel's hundreds, Les Miserables tells the story of Jean Valjean, a man being granted parole after spending 19 years in prison. His initial crime? 
stealing a loaf of bread for his starving sister and her child. But what kind of bread was it? Was oh, it, like it was a, a nice chia bread? Was it a gluten-free bread? It was a breadstick from Olive Garden. We went through this. <laughs> Despite his newfound freedom, however, Valjean's past immediately comes to dog him, with no one wanting to hire or give shelter to a criminal, save for a kindly bishop who offers his home as a place of rest. When the embittered Valjean steals the bishop's silver and runs off into the night, he is caught by the police and dragged back to the holy man, and now on the precipice of facing another long, brutal prison sentence. Instead... The bishop lies to the authorities and maintains he gave Jean Valjean the silver as a gift, while also giving him a gift of two silver candlesticks. Bishops love silver. In private, the bishop then tells Valjean... Sorry. You just needed a tax deduction. It wasn't that right. Like, altruistic. <laughs> right. It's like when you're checking out from yeah. Wawa. You know, it's like at the end of the year, you're like, oh, shit. I need to like, unload another five Gs so I can get this cat tax. <laughs> Into a different tax bracket. Yeah. The bishop then tells Valjean he has purchased his soul for God. Oh, geez. Uh, and I didn't know they could do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different Again, time. <laughs> Victor Hugo had a very, like, over the course of his life, a, a very uh, strange relationship to organized religion. Yeah. In private, the bishop then tells Valjean he has purchased his soul for God and must use the money to make something good of himself. And thus, shaken beyond belief and staring down a spiritual crisis, our hero decides to, quote, escape the world of Jean Valjean and become a new man entirely. He knows that he can't get a job if he's a felon, right? It's yeah. <laughs> right, right. You know, he, he can't vote. He can't like, can't do you anything. know, no one's going to hire him. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, that's what he, this is, this, this book is not timely at all. No, yeah, no, right. no, 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 <laughs> no residents groceries. Today. That's it. No. Yeah. The ruthless inspector Javert never forgets a face, nor will he have the laws broken. And thus begins an epic chase between the two, set against the backdrop of the first 30 years of 19th century France. Why is everyone so damned miserable? Is whispering the opening words to one day more in a room full of theater kids the most painful way a person can die? <laughs> and was that synopsis really only the first 15 minutes of the, of the plot? <laughs> All this and more in Les Miserables. <laughs> Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. I, mean, I feel like you're going to be like, okay, it's almost over. And then it's end of act one. Nope. And then like, it's like, okay, it's almost over. Oh. And then it keeps going like, okay, it's almost over. No, yeah, Still it's end gonna, of act it's, one. Yeah, it's amazing how much it just goes. Yeah. Like I said, it it is a very faithful adaptation. Yeah. Do you remember um, uh, there's, there was a long running off Broadway show called um, uh, Forbidden Broadway that parodied Broadway shows. And they had this whole long joke song that was summarizing the plot of Les Mis. And like that was the joke, which it just kept going and it kept going. And it was this one person mm -hmm. just trying to do it in like one breathless sentence. And it's yeah. So so <laughs> I was trying to like figure out a way to do the synopsis. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna put the first 10 minutes in here and then be like, Godspeed. Because yeah. <laughs> I guess ultimately it's like if, if, it, if he can said to be have a central plot. It is the uh, the cat and mouse between Inspector Javert and Jean Valjean, who you know is a parole breaker, and that's that's his new great crime. Les Misérables first began as a 1980 concept album by Bubil and Schoenberg with a stage production in Paris that same year. In 1983, shortly after the Broadway opening of Cats, Cameron Mackintosh was given a copy of the French concept album by stage director Peter Farago, who approached Mackintosh with the idea of bringing it to English language audiences working in conjunction with the Royal Shakespeare Company and writer Herbert Kresmer, who wrote the English lyrics. Les Miserables opened in London on October 8, 1985, where, despite a flurry of bad reviews, several theater changes across the years and COVID-19, it is still running, holding the position of the longest-running musical on the West End and second-longest-running musical 
in the world. The original Broadway production, which ran from March 1987 to May 2003, is the sixth longest-running Broadway show in history. Since its opening, it has received countless tours, revivals, concert stagings, international translations, a film studio where Tom Hooper lets Russell Crowe give the performance of his lifetime. Lame is. Name it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm so, like, I know it would be cruel Les to Mis. ask you to watch <laughs> the movie. However, <laughs> yeah. it is going to be very challenging to not spend half of the, you know, second half of this uh, episode talking Being about a Tom <laughs> I mean there are so many baffling choices yeah uh, many of them casting related yeah uh, Russell Crowe bless his heart he's <laughs> he can't sing yeah at least not n- not like that not in that idiom not in, <laughs> yeah not in the idiom required yeah. for Les Mis because the movie was so hung up on this like false nonsense notion of authenticity oh right you know because because a sung through musical is very realistic <laughs> They recorded all the sound live. So instead of doing playback the way normal people do, all of the singing in the movie was recorded on set, which is very much to the movie's detriment, even more than it might have been otherwise, because I cannot express this enough. Russell Crowe can't uh, sing uh, good he gives us some of the best gifts to have ever come out. But, oh boy. <laughs> he, he, like I, it's not that I regret it. Yeah, that's yeah. true. He's very I, I, I <laughs> Maybe that was his intention all along was to just make yeah, a bunch of memes. I'm very grateful to Russell Crowe Javert because he's like probably the best thing in the movie, you know, for all the worst reasons. But like, have I told you my experience of seeing this movie on opening night? It's story. I can never not look at this movie and, and not think of it. But my sister and I, because my, my sister is a huge Les Mis fan as well. It was like she hated Phantom so much that she was happy to have something new to bond on to and she got really into Les Mis. And so we went and saw it opening night. It was like Christmas Day and it was a packed theater and it was during the end uh, towards one of the one of the many sad songs in the show sung by Eddie Redmayne and it's very quiet and and they're going oh for the all, the all natural <laughs> moment and this old man sitting right in front of us rips the loudest fart I have ever heard in my life. Wow. <laughs> like as that guy happening. Sounds awesome. <laughs> and it's like, and the thing is, like, it's one of those uh, because again, it's very gritty and realistic. Yes, not only is it like the sound is set sound, it was one long take. Yes, that was yes. how Hooper did every single oh, one of the, sure. yeah. in the show was like, yeah, extreme. Oh, this sounds painful. Like you've probably seen like Anne Hathaway when she won her Oscars, like. She's like sings the entire song in extreme, extreme close up. Doing multiple takes of that in a row seems brutal. Yeah. And you can really hear the vocal fry in Anne Hathaway's yeah. performance. Oh, because it's you can... like, she, oh, it's like, obviously, like they had done it a bunch of times. Yeah. So I, I think the tears are, are honest. Yeah. Like pain tears. <laughs> you can really hear it uh, with Hugh Jackman, too. I, I, oh. I just feel like he does not. And oh, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, because they don't auto, they're too proud to auto tune yeah. it, too. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, it really is a testament to how Tom Hooper does not understand the medium that he's working with or, or the material because these songs were designed to for the cheap seats on a stage you know like these really emotional ballad ballads about how i'm dying and my life is over and there's like 50 of them (laughs) um now imagine that like thing that this is designed to be like you know belted and like in just like the extremist extremist of close-ups so when when you're seeing that on the stage, remember, it could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> it could be, an be so much. It could be could be an extreme, extreme close up of Anne Hathaway's runny nose. Yeah. 
like it, like a, like a duplex. That's like a running yeah. theme in his work. He loves that in Cats as well. With Jennifer Hudson mm-hmm. kept having a weird. Oh running yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cats was yeah. the better movie well, though. Just, I, it's pretty and realistic. Okay, the runnier the nose, the yeah. more honest, the more the dramatic. Emotion. Like I would watch yeah, more drama. Um, I would watch Cats ten thousand times over before I willingly sat through Les Mis again. Dear and Lord, I love that's Les saying Mis. something. <laughs> like I love yeah. Les Mis. Wow. Uh, no, it, it's it's that's... like it, it's it's really bad. Like. Okay. Tom Hooper is All bad right. at musical. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Skibble Shanks, the Railway Cat, was a masterpiece of of, of, of dance yeah. on film. I mean, I, I I still defend Jason Derulo's Rum Tum. I like his Rum Tum Tugger too. Okay, there's there is art in that. You know, he 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 understood the part. Yeah. He understood the he understood the assignment. And he delivered. He delivered. Yeah. He, he he was great. I guess that's the thing. Like Cats has redeeming. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Does it? Is only. Does it? <laughs> is a terrible boy. Gimble Shanks the Railway Cat. Again, he's wearing pants and he's yeah, got a mustache. Shanks. Like, come on, come on. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, sure. the tap dance. <laughs> he tap dances. Uh, the Tom Hooper uh, Les Mis is just kind of, it, it, it feels like what people joke about yeah. Les Mis feeling We're getting like, this out of our system yeah. now so we don't <laughs> talk about it constantly during the second <laughs> right. half because Very it's well. like, it's really hard not to go back to all of the baffling creative decisions made yeah. by Tom Hooper. When we talk about like mega musicals, you know, Phantom and Les Mis are what comes up. But for me, I think like it has to go to Les Mis. Like this is just, I think, the biggest, the, like in terms of scale, in terms of sound, in terms of like the emotional highs, just like this is to me the 80s, like more than Phantom, more than like Cats, more than like Starlight Express. Like this is this is like that. And the effect that it had on millennial theater kids, I think, is still being measured by sociologists today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I uh, I remember it was the first Broadway show I ever saw that wasn't with a field trip, and it was the f- like uh, it was the first Broadway show I saw. Period. My that was the first time I ever saw a show from like the fifth row, and it was just like it it was imprinted on my brain. My mom took me for my fifteenth birthday, and yeah, like I have I have a hard time being irrational or rather irrational. Um, I guess detached from talking about Les Mis because it's just such a big part of me. But the thing about it that separates it from Phantom is where I can def- I will defend Phantom when you criticize it. People will criticize them as say it's long, it's boring, it's too much. I'm like, "Yes, and I love it." Now leave me alone. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I, I don't I don't know how I would engage with it as an adult if it was the first time I saw it cuz I'm like, uh I I knew it from the soundtrack for so long before I actually saw it. And I've only seen it once. I saw it one time on Broadway. Uh 20 years ago. Yeah, it was 20 years ago for me. Like about, yeah, because it was, oh, wow. Because it was the first time I met Nella. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. The day I met Nella, we saw, we saw Les Mis uh, 2002, like March of 2002, back when we were still using disposable cameras. That's how long ago it was. We weren't even up to digital cameras yet. I still had, I still had my little disposable Kodak. Yeah. Uh, What's a Kodak? (laughs) <laughs> it's what you I'm take trying a to be the resident young person of... on the podcast. <laughs> I, just, I, I like literally just heard that on uh, you know it was a Sirius XM uh, you know uh, the ten spot which is twenty tens radio and like you hear Pitball being like go to Times Square take a picture of me with a Kodak and that was like literally I believe Kodak's last product placement before they got sold before they collapsed um, yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, the production we were talking about was the River uh, original Trevor Nunn one that had like this turntable, whatever, blah, 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 blah. This is a complete rehaul uh, for the most part. Um, I actually really like it, considering it's directed by Lawrence O'Connor, who has, one, directed Bad Cinderella to the restaged Phantom Tour, which mm-hmm. is ass. Like, I actually like this. Uh, he's the co-director on this. Um, it's different from that original iconic production, but I, I'm, I'm very interested to see, Lindsay, like what you make of it, uh, having seen the original. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's all I wanted to say. Uh, but although again, it was it was more than twenty years ago, <laughs> sure. and uh, like I, I do remember the turntable. The turn, like I'm just like, how are they going to do the barricade without that turntable? Um, and again, sorry, I got to take it back to Tom Hooper. I think of like how <laughs> the movie tried to make it look like the barricades looked in real life. Yeah. To its extreme detriment, because, like, the only reason those stupid barricades worked was because Paris was a teeny little, you know, like, three and a half foot wide streets back then. And, um, you know, without getting into it too deeply, Victor Hugo was very into urban planning as a concept (laughs) and how this revolution changed the footprint of Paris because after it happened, they're like, well, we can't have those barricades anymore. We should probably just start bulldoze the whole thing. That's why you have those wide boulevards. And so they did. And that's why we have the Champs-Élysées. Thanks. Big old Revolution failures. Yeah. (laughs) Have fun. I'm very excited for you. Thank Um. you. I'm very excited. (laughs) I'm going to go see it at the Pantages. I'm going to go see it tomorrow night. I will uh, report back. So let's go ahead and go to our break. Watch. I was just about to say bad Les Miserables, yes. but that's redundant. Uh, we'll come back <laughs> and discuss next, it. That, that, I mean, Les Mis is in the uh, public domain. I don't see why uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber couldn't, you know, just go all in on bad, you know, ex-property. Jean Valjean's like bad like he's got fingerless gloves. Bad hunchback. <laughs> yeah. Bad uh, The Man Who Smiled. Yeah. I don't, we're going through the works of Victor Hugo yeah. for some reason. Just do it. All right, everybody. We are back. Oh, my goodness. So many fucking things happened <laughs> that got in the way of us being able to watch, well, specifically Lindsay well, being able one, to watch. Well, one thing Mist. happened. <laughs> Two things. Uh, a fire happened. <laughs> fire happened. So, okay. So, back up. So, after we recorded part one, I went, unfortunately, and saw the show that same night. I mean, unfortunately, because I didn't like seeing it. But <laughs> after that, the plan was that Sunday that Lindsay was going to go. And no, of no. Course- it was Thursday. I was supposed to see it on Thursday a week ago today. So there so Gmail does this thing where it uh sifts things into social promotion if you're in the app. So uh my assistant did actually get an email saying that the show had been canceled. Uh mm. because she wasn't using the Gmail app. She was using the mail app th- through iPhone. But I was using the Gmail app like an idiot. Uh, apparently I drove my ass all the way from Long Beach to the Pantages during rush hour. And if you have ever spent any time in LA, you know that that is uh, not a fun drive to drive all the way up there only to find that the box office is closed. And it wasn't until the next day that I found out that like, okay, I guess I had gotten an email. It got sifted into like, not spam, but promotions. (laughs) And, uh, the reason for this was there was a fire at the Pantages. Fire. An electric. Fire, yeah, right? it caused all of the power to go out, and the theater, uh, as I understand it, was dark until the following Monday. So I saw it uh, on Tuesday. 
<laughs> was it yeah. was it sabotage? Was it random? Do we know? Was there a conspiracy behind <laughs> you, this you of can, some you sort? Can, I guess you can you can believe that there was some anti, you know, lame is yeah. So some some Blue Lives Matter guy, <laughs> like so some really pro police, like this is propaganda. Somebody in Napoleon <laughs> uh, cosplay showed up and basically was trying to take down the yeah. musical because they didn't appreciate it. Some yeah. thin blue line guy. <laughs> Or it's not like we have somebody who really doesn't like this show, who has an agenda against it mm-hmm. and having been made to watch about like, yeah, I can't days be bothered <laughs> to even show back up to burn it down. <laughs> Maybe you were like on Ambient or something. <laughs> you just don't remember doing it. You know, it happens. That's, it's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. sleep burned it. Yeah, you sleep burned it <laughs> and burned made me drive up there twice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, I saw I was it trying on, to stop you. So we're all we're all uh we're all up to speed. Yes, we've gone to see it now, unfortunately. Uh-huh. And, 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 and from my understanding, you guys went to Hoopertown, too, because you, you hadn't suffered yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, this was this was part of the agreement, unfortunately, so I did have yeah. to suffer through I didn't it. make yeah. that yes. agreement. I, I guess I, <laughs> I, I, I did, like, w- watch some YouTube videos, because I, I felt like I'd Hoopered enough. We have, we, we actually did a video on Tom Hooper's Les Mis. You can watch it on Nebula and only on Nebula, so so I felt like I had done my time. I didn't need to revisit it. Although I am extremely <laughs> of course, right, right, right. grateful for the the laughs, <laughs> the mirth, the mirth. <laughs> that, that, that Russell Crowe alone has, has oh. given us. So I guess uh, because this you could have actually like seen Les Mis and the time it took you to drive down there and then yeah. go back <laughs> yeah, up exactly. and go back. Uh, we should get to recounting what happens in Les right. Mis because I feel like it's going to be a little bit of a shit show. Yeah, everyone's uh, let's miserable. Let's go for it. Yeah, so I was thinking about how to do this concisely. I, I feel yeah. like Les Mis is functionally the story of a failed revolution that happened in 1832. But it also has a prologue that's about an hour long. And (laughs) it takes place over the space of about 20 years in which we meet our lead character, Jean Valjean, learn how he came to be the adoptive parent of one young uh, abused little orphan girl. And, uh, you know, and and then he moves to Paris. And then, then we get to the actual plot, which is about this failed revolution. The June Rebellion. Yeah. June, yeah. One, um, one of many revolutions. Not the French like, Revolution, yeah. which is what I thought it was. Yeah. Apparently no. that's a very common misconception is what I've seen, Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. yeah. I, I was watching a, a DVD extra about the movie, and even the, like, freaking head of the art department got it wrong. She called, <laughs> she, she called it the Revolution of 1848, and I was like, well, that might explain why those costumes look the way they do. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's confusing because it's also, like, preceded by the 1830 uh, ju- uh, July, uh, or June mm-hmm. Rebellion, rather. So it's like, or wait, rather, sorry. Getting it right. July Re- July Revolution is in 1830. June Rebellion is June Rebellion's one. 1832. And then there's the 1848 one. But then there's also the famous so much one of 1789. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if memory serves, the June uh, Rebellion was the thing that got Hunchback of Notre Dame's original publication pushed, right? Oh, okay. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, it, is, it is directly relevant to Hugo's 
personal life because he was, you know, there for all of this because he wrote Les Mis. It was kind of like his Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> yeah. He wrote it over a period How of dare like, you. about like 15 or 20 years. <laughs> uh, I guess not the musical, the, sh- the, sh- the book, not the musical. Yes. Yeah. Was, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the book was like his Lord the of the Rings. The book was good, yeah. Was like, I don't want to speak ill of the story. I'm just speaking of the uh, musical Oh, itself. I mean, yes. you're, you're about to get well, actually, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, this, is, this is not going to be a fun episode for you, sir. I'm misplaining. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like, <laughs> you know, it's okay. Like, you know, your opinions are extremely value, valid mm-hmm. and also wrong. And we're going sure. to spend the next hour Talking why. about why I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you want to talk about the production history of this current one, or mm-hmm. do you want to talk about the old well, one okay. as well? I, I was talking to some of the old gays at the Pantages, and they, you know, were talking about how like they always saw it when it came through, and I kind of realized that it was it was honestly really odd that I hadn't seen it in 21 years. And I don't know why, you know, because <laughs> I didn't see it when it was on Broadway. I didn't see it when Nor- Norm Lewis uh, was Javert. I didn't see the Jonas brother. Um, I was, I was I it was why. very confusing because we were even trying to record because you weren't able to see it. And I was like, haven't you seen this like 10,000 times? And you're like, I have not seen it since <laughs> 2002 or whatever. I was like, how is this possible? Yeah. And I, I don't know. Um, I actually had one friend refuse to see it with me because she said she had seen so many terrible touring productions. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember how this one is super, super different other than it uses an LED backdrop and it doesn't use a turntable, which the Broadway production did. Mm-hmm. You know, it was also a lot of little details like this one. I feel, I feel like it implemented a lot more humor in subtle ways, like they kind of turn Cosette and Marius meeting into this um kind of Romeo and Juliet thing yeah. and where they're both like awkward teenagers and it's very cute. And I thought that was very clever because normally these two are boring AF. Um, and I'm sure to some of us, they were still boring AF, <laughs> but like I, I found it quite charming. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely like a, a, a funnier production. Like they definitely lean more into like the fact that people like the Tenardiers. I feel like, oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like they have like a much bigger presence than they kind of do in my well, memory. They cut of- some of it. They cut, uh, the Waterloo stuff. Yeah. Like, believe it or not, Kaveh, this is probably 15 or 20 minutes shorter than uh, the Broadway version. Okay. So that's that's a positive. <laughs> Although I, I kind of disagree because I don't I don't I don't I don't like they, they cut lines, you know, they sure. didn't cut songs, um, which I didn't love, you know, because I'm like, you know, I, I liked the little Waterloo digression and like they cut like half of turning, uh, yeah. which is a oh, song yeah. that the girls sing uh, or some some random ladies sing after the revolution fails. Um, yeah. And so I'm kind of like, man, if you're just going to cut half of it, just cut the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, the whole show. why bother? Uh, yeah, why why bother? Uh, you know, because it's like they only cut like thirty seconds, but like I'm just sort of like it was a good thirty seconds where they sing about uh, you know, uh, there, there's a sort of like um dichotomy between they're talking about these boys who died and you know they used to be babies <laughs> and then like in the next line they're like oh another baby you know it's sort of yeah. like that that sort of sort of like shows the sort of push and pull in the whole show between like the value of human life and yeah. the devaluation of human life. Yeah, that's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, (laughs) that's one of my favorite songs in the whole show. And that I remember like seeing this production and them cutting Mm -hmm. it and being like super bummed out by it. Yeah, (laughs) we like this thirty seconds. Yeah, just just keep it. Come on. (laughs) But overall, did you feel like this was more or less like a decent adaptation or decent show of it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh for sure. Like I wasn't ugly crying because I was sad. I was. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, like, I was surprised at how much it brought me to tears. I was like, like uh, even stuff that normally does nothing for me, uh-huh. like, like uh, what? Empty, Let- empty chairs at empty tables <laughs> normally does nothing for me. That's a song that Marius sings after everybody's dead. There, there's several everybody's dead songs, um, and this is the one that Marius sings. Um, usually, they'll kind they'll have like literal empty chairs at empty tables, and he'll be back in the uh, uh, Abeche, you know, cafe. And uh, here he's it's like a completely bare stage except for candles that have been blown out. And he's his is the only one that's still lit. And I was like, this is doing it for me. I, I normally that's my can we please like move, yeah, move on with this song? song I'm like, that's, can that's we just keep song. it on? But yeah. I also cried during that when I saw this production. Um, so I saw Les Mis again, the end of the original Broadway production with my mom, who had no idea what to expect, and of course she's a mom, so she ugly cried. <laughs> and I remember like, I don't just even being, know what's going on, but it's she's so just sitting there going because <laughs> it's like. It's like a phantom. Whenever you go and see it, there's always like a resounding chorus of people in the uh-huh. audience like, going <laughs> like very, very loud sniffling. I was like, because yeah. like as I was definitely one of those people, if for no other reason than like I still had a cold. So if you've ever sure. been crying while having a cold, you know how loud it gets. Right, right. When when you're crying at Les Mis with a cold, mm-hmm. it's on the next level. Just constant, uh, constant. Like, oh my god, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I, <laughs> it's literally Ugh. me. I cried during <laughs> Star as a song I never cry at when I saw it this time around uh-huh. too i was just like tam i don't oh, know man that. so stars is the song that javert sings whenever he vows to go get she's gonna get valjean if it kills him and that yeah. one was really funny because you know how men love stars even men who hate ladies <laughs> love stars. True. and there a, was a last night i was looking at the super blue moon and i got really emotional being like space <laughs> i got very calm i was just sort of like man the universe is so bad it's funny that you say that literally last night yep. there's this uh, well there's this uh whenever that that song started. I, I swear, I could hear like every man within like a ten foot radius be like, "Oh, it's coming!" Like, stars. <laughs> here come the stars. And yeah, uh, and I think it's 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 funny. It's a fairly easy song to sing. Um, if in in the way that like, I mean, it's hard to sound good because it's simple, but it's an easy song to sing in that it's a very like limited range. It's got like three notes in it. Uh, poor Russell Crowe. I guess we'll get to Russell Crowe later. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, it definitely got a big reaction from the audience when I saw it. Yeah. I mean, Les Mis is this also, sh- I wish I, like, I never gotten to see it with my dad and I'm like, this also, mm-hmm. I feel like, is a dad weeper. It's an, it's oh, a, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've it's, bought it's a like house and now I'm like, matter sympathies yeah. deep down <laughs> that all straight men have. They, yeah. you know, they know the system is corrupt, but they kind of want to be cops. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like, awful. He, but he's like a, he just swears by the stars. He doesn't. He he's not. He's stars. not about the system. He's just about this. These bigger, loftier ideas of justice. I, it and is whatnot. so funny yeah. to me it's how so like funny. men love Javert. They <laughs> like, love Javert. Every straight theater man loves Javert. And it, 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 luckily, it's, I'm it's not a theater man, so that's why I didn't like <laughs> yeah. that character. Javert, even Javert does nothing for you. No, I was like, this guy's terrible at his job, and like, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, fuck you, bro. Like, fuck off. It's very funny, like, that's the whole sequence in the second act where he's trying to, like, sneak in to, like, you know, the the rebellion and get behind the barricades, and then he gets exposed by a child. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very, like, it, for me, that played funnier than it did in my memory of seeing it in high school or seeing it previously. It was just, like, very funny, like, oh, you got punked, everyone's laughing at you. Like, Suck, this bro. dork, this narc getting caught. It was very fun. It's like, how did you make it this far? <laughs> like, you fail like, upward, that's how it works, basically. You had one job. 
Good yeah, evening, dear. Respect to her. Good evening, my dear. <laughs> right. When you get caught by a street child, that's when you know. Yeah. You're like, that is one you've... weird thing about this production is that they completely dropped the Cockney accents. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the Tenardiers having just regular American accents um, struck me as, well, why don't you just replace it? Like, okay, fine, we all have American accents. Why don't you make them Texan? Why don't you make, give them... They're Midwestern. Like Boston, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah. give, give them some accent or something. Uh, oh, Cosette. Uh, <laughs> Be from Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, Cosette. Can you go ahead and clean yeah. up a little bit better for Let's me? Let's not bargain for darling <laughs> Colette. Cosette. Cosette. Was that make like, it from Long Island? Yeah. Yeah, Long Island. So, so yeah, they're, oh. they're like kind of... Uh, I, I don't quite understand why they did that. Maybe it's just because they're just like, why bother? Yeah. People aren't I think be- I think, and I don't know if it's like a, 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 a commentary on theater trends in general where there used to be that case of like, oh, if they're poor, they automatically get a Cockney accent. Mm. And uh, that's just kind of like gone out of right. style in general. I, I feel like you, if you look at something like Chernobyl, which used, you know, British accents across the aisle in ways that I thought was really clever, like the Ukrainians being Scottish. And, um, you know, I feel like it was a little uh, kind of a lost opportunity that they could have done that with American accents. Sure. That kind of just made it feel a little more generic. Yeah. And just like also, I think it's like kind of like burned into your brain that they're like, excuse me, he a professor. Like, sorry yeah, yeah. to all the people of South I, I feel, London. Yeah, I feel, I feel like Gavroche did cockney it up a little. It was really inconsistent. So did the Tenardiers. But yeah. anyway, I guess before we go further, maybe maybe we should ask the resident hater oh, yeah. uh, what, he, <laughs> what he thought uh, on the whole. Yeah. Right. So, like, here's the thing. I, I, I've been sort of racking my brain how you talk about this because it's it's probably the only one I remember seeing that's like based on such a famous piece of literature. So it's like it's really hard to talk about because the story is obviously interesting and the characters are interesting and the setting's interesting. But I, I also disassociated for most of the musical because I was so miserable from all of the like <laughs> recessive <laughs> and like the excess of just oh, like, we're learning this. The, right? <laughs> it took four years, but I finally did. Right. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, th- there's also this part of me that's like, OK, I hated it uh, and, and in a way that's very obviously that I would obvious that I wouldn't like it and I would be upset and miserable throughout the experience of it. But in and of itself, like that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. It just means that I don't like it. And it's I'm also not the person who ever would have fucking liked this just based on what it is to begin with. I mean, you can see what I mean when I say this is among the most faithful adaptations, because, uh-huh. again, you haven't seen 8000 of them like we have. <laughs> but like um, there was the uh, there were a, a few in the 90s that were French. There was the Liam Neeson one yeah. um, starring uh, Jeffrey Rush and Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. I think I saw um, part yeah. of that one at some point in the 90s. Like we might have watched it in class. There, there was a French one in, from the 1930s. Um, and it always struck me when I watched them like how how they just weren't as faithful as the musical was. I think the the best one so far has been the PBS one that came out a few years ago. I enjoyed that one a lot. I did want to circle back to the one with Uma Thurman because that one has a very interesting ending where it ends with Javert dying and Jean Valjean like having his hot girl happy moment, like walking off into the oh, distance. Oh yeah, he wins. <laughs> he wins. And I think about is the PBS one the like time. the actual musical as well, or it's just a straight adaptation no, of it? No, no, no it's no, a, it's a pretty yeah. straight adaptation. Okay. I think it's like four parts because that's another thing. It's like it. A nice thing about a musical is you can condense 
really intense things into a relatively mm-hmm. short amount of time sure. and get your point across a lot more effectively than you could in a straight adaptation where like scenes need to be set up, yeah. you know, tone needs to be set up. And that's part of why, you know, these adaptations tend to cut out a lot. It's not so much that the plot is just so convoluted that you have to do that. It's that you have to do that in order for any of the scenes to have like breathing room, especially since there's going to be like 10 years, like, you know, it starts in 1815, and then, you know, part two with Fontaine takes place about 10 years later. And then the rest of it takes place about seven years after that, you know, and, uh, you know, you have to like establish all that. And in the music, in the musical, you just kind of skip it and like you just use a song to kind of set up like the people are poor and, <laughs> and you get it. And, you, and you're just like, oh, the people are poor and, and they're sad. In this particular production, enjoyed the very big like title cards that happened. Oh yeah, in particular. Like, 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 no, I only oh. got one. Where, where oh, did really? you get several? Yeah, like I they had, had the they yeah. had the yeah. I was expecting more to tell us like what year it is, but no, they only gave us like the one title drop, and then like that was it, which surprised me. Seemed like a lost lost opportunity. It's a good it's a good device to be like, okay, look, just accept it. We're here ten years in the future. We don't need to really fill it. Yeah, down okay. So that was supposed yeah. to be there. Good to know, because it was not yeah. there in our production. I might be because like I saw this tour when it first ran, I think in two thousand eighteen, and it might be from that, and I'm remembering just that. And I'm like, when I saw it last year ago, was that there? The title card was definitely there. Yeah, the title I card felt was like, there. So like, yeah, that might have been cut. And I am kind of like Wait, when did I actually see that? Because and the other thing that was weird about it was when I saw it, two thousand eighteen, ostensibly the same production. It looked like it was still figuring out that it was going to be a funnier kind of. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it had worked the kinks out. Yeah, yeah, it had to work the kinks out of it. It had figured out its tone because I think that was definitely the thing that impressed me about this production was how well it balanced its tone. Yeah, and you know, kept the audience engaged with intent, um, except for you know some people <laughs> I, you know again too the the thing that i kept thinking about was the context of when this was originally came out right of this being like this 1980 yeah this being this thing in the 80s in new york specifically and because my brain works the way that it no, does no 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 it's I, a french musical i just mean like in terms of like stateside in terms of like it becoming this fucking pop culture phenomenon here because i even remember hearing about les mis when i was a kid like especially because i was on the east coast like i remember it being like just fucking omnipresent everywhere and i kept thinking about (laughs) this is just the weird place that my brain went i kept thinking about american psycho i kept thinking about patrick bateman (laughs) yeah she do and i kept thinking about like who are these like because new york at that time it was such it's such a city of transition and like all this crazy shit happening and our boy of uh four seasons giuliani coming in to try and clean up the city so Mm -hmm. this i thought it was interesting that like yeah right (laughs) I just thought it was interesting that like so many people who were probably like yuppies who were meant to be the sort of uh, the subject of criticism of something like this would really have like loved it and like related to it. And I kept thinking about like, I wonder if that's like a Reagan thing where they were just like, no, we hate the government and like the government's fucked up. And like, that's why these people are like, what is their deal with this? I couldn't quite like unpack that. That has been the history of this book. Like, do you know who the first group of people that this book was super mega popular with in the United States were no hint the year was 1863 <laughs> oh the abolitionists <laughs> so reverse it right <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was super popular among soldiers because Les Mis came out in the U.S. during the Civil War 
Um, however, the most popular version, um, and I'm, I, I literally just learned this. That's why it's at the top of my head. Uh, it was the Confederate version, yeah, which they called Lee's Miserables uh, <laughs> because like at first it was like a joke. But then like that's literally what was printed on yeah. it. And so obviously Hugo, surprise, surprise. Big abolitionist, um, hugely sympathetic to John Brown's failed rebellion. You know, he's he's got a big soft spot for failed rebellions, except for, (laughs) you know, and I I think that's funny because, like, since it is about a failed rebellion, it it became really popular with Confederates towards the end of the war Mm -hmm. because they knew, you know, it wasn't going to work out. And they didn't see themselves as fighting for slavery per se, you know, as as it still is. And so it was hugely popular with the confederates to the point that they had their own propaganda version which like uh, it didn't it didn't change too much it just, but it did cut a lot out obviously i did not know that that's uh insane yeah um, literally but- just learned that <laughs> yeah so there's definitely a a long history of this book being popular with the very people that it is criticizing yeah like i always associate it in high school because i went to you know a fairly conservative catholic high school that like all of my the worst like shitty mean girls loved this show like shitty super religious and mean girls love the show without any ounce of like self-reflection about it it's just kind of like this that's i guess like the big criticism of it it's like that it is kind of navel gazy about poverty in a way that it's like easy to see like i watched the sad people be sad right and now i can move on with my life it's kind of this weird that's, thing where that's it's not like what this... you resonate with you are eponine you have a crush yeah. and he doesn't like you back right, you know right. you are fontaine you have a crush and he doesn't like because that's like what, you... you know the songs are about these really personal things they're not really about yeah, the poor and the, I mean some of them are, but they're not the ones that like you know the mean girls are going to get really into. They're not going to, yeah. you know, be singing at the end of the day, you know, for yeah. their for their audition piece for the spring gala. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, I mean, I guess that's kind of the thing, though. It's like it's easy to be like, oh, I'm about Eponine, but I don't really have to think about the broader implications right. of what Hugo is trying to say here with this story. And yeah, like, it has nothing to do with her poverty and everything to do with her crush. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Like she's just so. Sad like me how come you know jesse on the swim team doesn't want to answer my aim messages in yeah. 2003 <laughs> exactly what victor hugo uh, intended yeah exactly he was definitely thinking about aim messages back then yeah he, in the same he, way that he was thinking about <laughs> loaded away messages <laughs> is he talking about me yeah in the same way that men go and see like stars and like see this like thing about and, like hear that song and be like yes it's about like wanting to believe in a bigger truth something that is bigger than you know and, and not going about the fact that you know Javert is a cop who is harassing a man who, by all intents and purposes, should be able yeah. to like just like live. His and life. I guess to be fair, you can't expect teenagers, especially young teenagers, to engage with art that is about a greater societal complex issues because that's just not where their heads at. The teenagers are kind of a microcosm of like mm-hmm. I guess the general audience. Yeah, I think so too. most people are kind of gonna they're he- they're going to relate to individual characters because uh, like I had I had a friend who uh, um, like uh, mentioned to me that he was uh, disappointed that his kids weren't um, his kids were like eight or so like weren't really into um, the same music that he grew up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they categorized it as angry because this stuff like public enemy and um and i kind of got me thinking 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, of course, they're not going to relate to that. They don't understand the idea of anger outside of a context of one person being angry at another person, you know, because that's an, another really interesting thing about Les Mis, especially the musical, um, is the way it does have such a cross-generational appeal and a cross-political appeal. Cross-political appeal um, is the part that's really crazy to me, yeah, when you're watching yeah, it. Yeah, Because I'm yeah. like, you could see Because I'm sitting here thinking, it. like, it is so obviously, like, radical and leftist, and people can just ignore that if they want to think about, like, the crush stuff. Or, like, same with teenagers being, like, they, they'll you know, latch really hard onto characters like Eponine. And, you know, at least for me, it wasn't until I got much older that I became really interested in, like, the politics of it. And to me, I feel like you can't really get interested in that without learning about Victor Hugo's life and the way he changed over the course of his life Mm -hmm. and what made him believe what he believed. I think what I think adults kind of tend to latch on to, especially like more, um, I guess, conservative leaning adults, is this idea of, God has ordained these things to happen in, in the end, putting your, you know, trust in him as Valjean kind of ultimately does, despite all of like the hard, you know, things that happened to him, you know, and that he just dies basically alone until like the last few like seconds mm-hmm. of his life is that no, like God will foresee you through all of this horrible stuff at the end. And like, cause that's like one of the things that gets quoted all the time is to love another person is to see the face of God, which I don't even think is in the book. No, uh, that's, 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 <laughs> I don't that's, a, so. that's a musical. That's a musical invention. And like, I think that like you would hear that line spat back at you so much. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just like, oh, this is a confirming thing. That, like, yeah, I think it is very, very Catholic. I think that's <laughs> very Long Island. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the appeal of it. It's just like, no, you put your faith in God despite all mm-hmm. this hardship and he will have your back. And that's, yeah. And it's easy to, like, if you strip it of its context and of, like, of Hugo's actual beliefs, it is really easy for any political group to see themselves in, you know, the 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 revolutionaries, you know, like the Confederates. You can totally see how they would see themselves in these guys who are, like, fighting against an unjust system. It's a lost cause, but we're going to do it anyway. It's fucking the Alamo. Yeah, it's it's Ruby Ridge. It's, like, all this shit. Right, right. So you just, it's really easy to ignore, like to dissociate with like the fact that the it is super yeah. critical of a police state. And, you know, I kept thinking over, like the whole time about like, I just, you know, even the musical, but, you know, the work in general is like it. We just don't give it enough credit for how timely it remains and how little has actually changed, oh, yeah, especially yeah. with regard to like the way prisoners are treated in the U S like it's better in France, <laughs> like better, not great, but better. Like, you know, especially if you compare it to other countries like, you know, Norway and Finland, but like, we have what 30% of the world's prison population. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I remember thinking when I was young, how ridiculous, you know, obviously, cause they frame it as ridiculous that he goes to jail for stealing a loaf of bread for five years. And then it gets another 15 for like, you know, compounding interest of, of crime. Um, when shit like that happens all the time, like, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I was thinking this, there's this podcast I used to listen to called ear hustle and it was made, uh, by like an NPR person or NPR adjacent person and a prisoner at, I think Chino or something. It wasn't until pretty late in the game that you find out what he was actually in for. And like, I'm not gonna, it, he was in for second degree rob attempted robbery, mm-hmm. meaning and he got 25 years for driving the getaway vehicle of a failed robbery hmm. because of Jesus. California's three strikes law. And so it's like, is that not 
ridiculous on yeah. the level of Jean Valjean getting getting 20 years for a loaf of bread. And like this guy did eventually get paroled because basically because he became podcast famous, which most prisoners are not going to get. But <laughs> right. like even in California, you know, where we have this truly heinous three strikes law, like there's so much data showing that it doesn't work, mm-hmm. um, that it only it, 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 it's just like it's so bad. And like the musical is not shy about his politics, you know, any more than the book is. Right. And um, and, and it's interesting to see how people can just kind of whoosh, you know, <laughs> like like completely not make that connection if their yeah. politics aren't already there. Yeah. That's that's exactly what I was thinking too. I just kept being like, "Why did this become popular in the era that it did?" It's so strange. Yeah. The absolute yeah. irony. Yeah, like of it. it rose to popularity as like terms like super exactly. predator were coming yep. into yeah. play. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Shining, shining city on a hill. All that shit. It's like New York right, and Reagan right. at the same time. I'm like, this is literally right, the worst right, fucking yeah. era right. of that. Specifically, right. or even in the really '90s bizarre. with the Clintons and the Democrats yeah. being like, "Well, we'll be even tougher yeah. on crime." Yeah. yeah. The dissonance is is really shocking mm-hmm. to me. Is I think that's probably what they're thinking, though. It's they're probably thinking that it's about like the idea of taking down like whatever yeah. the government. Well, was I think they're thinking that it. like it's it, it that's a, that's a before time because I remember yeah. kind of thinking of it like that. Um, and I think it's really easy to think of like this era of France is particularly barbarous, and it's like right after all those guillotines and stuff, like. It's really easy to think of that as a as a time that is gone, even though like the way the show ends with everybody, you know, coming back and being like, you know, no, the world is not just this is basically a show of trying to keep and maintain one sense of goodness and faith in an inherently unjust world that is almost entirely constructed by humans and maintained (laughs) by humans. But we're we're still working on it. (laughs) Yeah, and it's just like that. The fact that it ends on that, we're still working on it. Note makes you know it communicates to me that they're trying to make a point about the fact that we are still functionally living in a society that is very similar to the one that is portrayed in the show. And uh, uh, whoosh, (laughs) you know, just whoosh. Sad man, sad about stars. Uh, (laughs) Girl, don't know. Don't get the boy she want. Even just like the idea of like, because um, like I started obviously losing my mind during um, Eponine or Fontaine's death. Rather mm-hmm. for me, yeah, that was yeah. super hard. Just because one. Oh yeah, because that's also the, maybe the first time you saw it as a parent. As a parent, like, yeah, yeah saw that it. that part fucked me up. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. I was I like, like that oh. aspect certainly yeah. hit hit different than it did when I was like fourteen. Of just this idea of what you would do for your child in a way like that, that like is still that still, you know, mm-hmm. is, is present here. <laughs> like how moms, especially single moms, are super underserved by like their communities and their governments is like has not changed in any capacity. And the fact that like Fontaine is out here selling her teeth and her hair. And I'm like, well, you know, I know so many people who literally just sell feet pics just so they can fucking put you know, dinner on the table and we joke about them at best and, you know. Right, because this is something that Hugo is, like, very explicit about in the text is, like, the, you know, maltreatment of women, the extreme links they have to go to if they in any way kind of step outside of what society deems acceptable. You know, again, it's way more relevant here in the U.S. now than it is in France because of just... You know, I, I I read this uh, article that, again, more relevant now than it was a year ago today. He's talking about nettles, he, uh, the um, the plant uh, yeah, that like, was widely considered a weed. 
And the quotes, when the nettle is young, the leaves make excellent greens. When it grows old, it has filaments and fibers like hemp and flax. And then he goes on for like a paragraph talking about all the ways that nettles can and are useful if they're cultivated correctly. And, you know, what does it need? Very little soil, no care, no culture, except that if we would take a little pains, the nettle would be useful, but we neglect it and it becomes harmful and then we kill it. How much men are like the nettle? My friends, remember this. There are no weeds and no worthless men. There are only bad farmers. So, and I, I kept thinking, oh, like, when I was reading this wow. Roe v. Wade, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, you force it to, you force it into existence, and then you deem it bad because it is raised in a not perfect environment. And then we kill it, you know, we throw it into prison. And I just, you know, I was just like, you know, our woke king <laughs> based Hugo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's to, again like it becomes more and more relevant every year as we kind of fall into this more and more totalitarian state, which again is what they were rebelling against in the 1830s. And it, I guess it, it does kind of haunt me, you know, I guess maybe knowing Hugo's intent and like even knowing about how he wrote about like how future people fighting future battles would read this and see themselves in it. It's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he he was not so naive as to think that, like, it would be necessarily better, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's still strange to me, though, because we're still really just talking about Hugo and what he wrote more so than the actual show itself. Like I was saying at the beginning, like, I don't dislike Les Miserables the story. Mm -hmm. It's just more like the experience Mm -hmm. of having that. That's what makes it such a weird thing to talk about, because it's 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 such an important piece of literature and such an like an epic piece of storytelling. Yeah. Well, I think the musical m- makes it easier to gloss over his intent, even though I think the intent is still very clear. Um, but you have to know what the intent is in order to, for to see its clarity, right? And I think if you if you're not familiar with Hugo's work, you can watch the musical and kind of read your own thing, like you know the Confederates did. And so I guess that that's that's my read of it to kind of I guess wind down this discussion of like why people who so vehemently disagree with Hugo's politics can see the show and go, wow, it me like, well, there's, there's lots of reasons. Cause you know, I think most people are introduced to it in pieces too. Like I remember, um, my first introduction was like master of the house and just being, and, and lovely ladies. Those were the two things. Like I was like 12 or 13 or something and like learning that, Oh my God, they, they say, they say shit. Yeah. <laughs> they, oh. they, there's, there's prostitutes in this yeah. singing about People being have... prostitute. Yeah. It was just yeah. like, wow, this is so scandal and edgy. Yeah. But do you, do you guys think it's good or bad because of that specifically that it, it, it helps people derive so much from the intent originally? I don't, like that's actually a really good question because I was having a kind of related conversation about a different book and, um, you know, adaptation and people coming into something from you can't ever guarantee, you know, where someone's coming to from when yeah. they engage with a piece of art. Yeah. And is something like an adaptation like Les Mis, which you could say obfuscates Victor Hugo's intent, uh, a bad thing inherently if people are walking away from it, not getting it. You know, you can't account for those people. I think the ultimate thing is that it has brought a lot of people to Les Mis and who do go and read the book. So there's a massive fandom that has since gone on to get into Les Mis. And like the idea that people are still talking about Les Miserables, even if it's under the pretext of this big ass musical mm-hmm. that is very much a musical. And like, that's kind of I could see like where the silly rub of it is, where you're just having like, yeah. you know, Jean Valjean having his 11 o'clock number. Yeah, they are, you know? they are inextricably linked, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. most of the stuff that is memorable in the book is there in the musical in some way shape or form and like they and and the stuff that's cut out is like you know uh, 
Valjean having a he, he like he has a bunch of mini bosses that like yes. you know <laughs> right. or, or, or like side quests mm-hmm. that like you know we don't need that like where he does one more crime after right. the silver you know incident <laughs> or yeah. like um he does get arrested after Fontaine dies and then he escapes and then he gets Cosette and then there's another chase scene and then like even, you know there's sure. there's like a lot of like little action things that we can cut but like the the bulk of it is still there um and I think it's just like it, you, you, to me, I see them as like complementary, as I kind of do mm-hmm. all mm. adaptations of Les Mis, um, and I, I, I feel like it's kind of unique in that way because I'll, you know, when I think of something like Phantom, I don't think very much care was taken in most of the adaptations. Like they, there would be like these dumb schlocky horror movies, and so. I don't really see it as a continuous work, you know. No, there's there's not really a response in most of yeah, those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to Les Mis, where it, most of the adaptations, like even the kind of hacky ones, like the Liam Neeson version, is it, like you know they're they're trying they're tr- they're trying to interpret it for the modern day. Um, like that French one in the '90s, um, it was really interesting because it was not a straight adaptation at all. It took place in like World War II. Oh, is, that the, is that the one that's set in the 40s or the 50s? Yeah, yeah. One? It took place yeah, during yeah, yeah. World War II and like Cassette you know, I mean, basically like it's this guy who sees himself as Jean Valjean and, and like kind of recreates the story in his head mm-hmm. in, during World War II. And like, so it's an interesting response to the original text as like, you know, a movie made in the 90s that takes place in the 40s about a book that was written in the 1850s and released in the 1860s. Mm-hmm. Like um, it's it's a very continuous thing, which is when I when I talk about Les Mis, it's very hard for me to stick to just one version, you know? Yeah. yeah. As I think was intended, because we've done a lot of work on other works of Victor Hugo before, and Hugo was very engaged as a as an artist with his adaptations. And yeah, yes, yeah. Really liked this idea of, like, how can it be different for different mediums? How can yeah. I expand on this story? Yeah, yeah. The original George Lucas uh, Star Wars universe was Victor Hugo <laughs> trying to incorporate <laughs> into other things. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, again, don't get us going, started on Hunchback. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, I, the only other thing I can think of is like uh, the, the most famous non-English language musical is Notre Dame de Paris. It's a Quebecois musical. And it is it, it reminds me a lot in adaptation of this where it is pretty much all of the <laughs> all of the all of the plot elements are there. Um, but it leans into like, you know, the cast. Oh, sad Esmeralda song. And then like the sad mm. Quasimodo song and the, the horny song, the song, other horny song. song. <laughs> and then there's eight million songs. And but like they also really lean hard into this idea of social justice, this idea of, you know, asylum for immigrants being like at the front of what the story is about. And like a lot of people, it's again, one of the most popular musicals in the world by all metrics. It's just not super popular in the United States. And it tends to fly over people's heads. Nevertheless, the soccer but, uh, of musicals, yeah. basically. Yeah, <laughs> basically. But um, yeah, that that's a whole other episode right there. And uh, we, um, <laughs> maybe we've already been chawing. Speaking of uh, different adaptations, is there anything that there is to be said about the Russell Crowe version that has not already been said? And all the various <laughs> <laughs> various mediums. Well, I'm that curious. You guys what, what did you What did you think? Did you Did you yeah. Were you like, wow, this is worse, or wow, this is the same? I was really did it conf- edify any feelings, or yeah. No, I was really confused by the directorial choices. Again, I I, I realize that like nothing that I'm saying <laughs> we, is we new. can't agree on something. Yeah, it, it just <laughs> I, specifically, you know, I like King's Speech. I liked Tom Hooper's use of lenses. I thought that like he used them in an interesting way in that movie for dramatic purposes. And then when it came to this, it was, it seemed really random and it was really confusing to me. And I know that he's like 
and I and I read a bunch of this online too. I realized that everybody's already sort of had this uh, had this dis- dissection of it. So I'm sort of like, and I'm very late to the game, but it was like it was really strange. And the handheld thing like really threw me off in terms of trying to create like this realistic gritty yeah. version of a musical yeah, like this, but like, but like but style. <laughs> it was really fucking weird it was like and he shoots yeah. everything like on an 18 i think if i'm not mistaken because i think that's like the kubrick lens that he's obsessed with it was, it was just really odd it, it was like it, very very odd it's already odd enough to watch a musical movie and like seeing close-ups of people's faces like kind of what we talked about before but like to the extent that he stylized it made it feel but it didn't feel stylized in the correct way it just felt stylized in a way that made me feel sort of similar to cats in the next movie afterwards where i'm like i feel like i'm in some weird nightmare fever dream it reminded me of the pianist and and like you know world war ii movies Mm -hmm. in terms of like its aesthetic and it's just like you know, I and again, this is a point we've made a dozen times, but it's just like when the framing is and the cinematography is telling you one thing, and the right. fact that it is a fucking musical yes. yeah. is telling you another. Yeah. It's just it, it it's impossible not to be constantly yeah. taken out of it exactly, and yeah. aware of what you're watching. On top of the fact that everyone sounds terrible, terrible, like terrible, terrible. Like they because uh, I was um, Russell Crowe can sing, like he. Has been in a band. Yeah, he was in a band. I saw clips of it, which is crazy. Yeah, but I think the thing is, like, he's he's a bass. Whenever you hear him talk, like his natural register is really really low. Javert is a baritone. A, it was out of his range. B, he. I don't think he had the correct um, vocal coaching. And the main problem with this whole movie is that they, because they insisted on getting on set sound. Uh, they everybody is singing for like 10 hours a day yeah. their voices uh-huh. get shot really quickly and they sound terrible and it was just it was a it was a bad idea yeah. i don't understand why they committed to it so hard and then they did it again with cats um <laughs> well she won the uh, oscar so that, that, that's all you need it's because it's realistic oh my god and she sounds so bad you can blame the academy for that one. Oh my yeah no i, I think and, and they did it on purpose where they like she was going through all of this like really unhealthy like weight loss and like could have seriously injured her voice and and it worked you know she did the thing where she tortures herself and yeah. then they give you an they award reward you for love it, it. Yeah. you love to yeah. see it um, but it did give me my favorite moment in any movie ever where he falls off of the the, the pot noose. <laughs> it makes this loud cracking thwack noise after this big dramatic song, this big dramatic reprise where he has this moment where he's like, I must die now. And then you get to hear him cracking open like a hot, wet melon. It's great. Yeah. The sewer scene was very unsettling. I was like, I didn't need to see them that much covered in shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, did you, were you trying to do camouflage? Yeah, I was like, what, <laughs> well, uh, what is happening? Why are you looking like that? It's like that part in Monty Python, the Holy Grail, where they're just like purposely moving mud around. Like that's the idea of like what peasants do. <laughs> yeah, like they're just yeah. like shoveling mud around because that's what poor people it's do, I strange. guess, says Tom Hooper. We are, uh, we're coming close to the end. Is there something, is there anything else you guys wanted to cover before we wrap up? Ooh. So much. Um, so much. We can keep going and Scratch going. Scratch the surface. It's yeah. a multi-part thing of Les Mis. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like again, we spent most of this talking about Hugo in and of itself Taking because you can't a, talking not about talk a bonus about it. episode. Yeah. yeah, I guess. I guess like for the production we saw, um, I thought the cast was really good. I did think Eponine went a little too hard, like hard in like a run, like doing runs and stuff. Or no, like- she was just really like her emotions were at a thirteen. Um, the Valjean 
really made me nervous during the prologue because uh, mm. he he was giving Phantom understudy. <laughs> like, he was very puckish. Sure. Um, Four years he, later, like, still during, getting shade. <laughs> <laughs> during took my flight, and I was just yeah. like, oh no. Yeah, yeah. He, um, yeah. <laughs> but like, he, it's funny because once he put on a different wig, he calmed down. Yeah. Um. I, he just needed like the the good Valjean wig. Uh. Because like I I was not feeling the the prologue, but like for the rest of the show, I thought he was good. I really enjoyed him and, and the Javert and their like little bro hate. I really liked the Javert in this production mm-hmm. a lot. And, yeah, the like, Javert was very classic. He reminded me of uh, the original Broadway Javert. I can't remember his name. I was I was going to say one thing that I noticed, which it may have been different when you saw it, Lindsay, after they fixed the electrical system. But I thought that and I don't know if this was the case in the original as well or not, but it seemed like they were trying to light it and make the stage look like a Delacroix painting or something. Oh and, yeah, and those were Hugo's paintings. And, and then Hugo's. Oh, was that Hugo's, Hugo's paintings? I didn't realize he was a painter. Yeah, too. he was. He was a painter. Oh, he was shit. a Renaissance man. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, yeah. he wrote operas. He wrote plays. Shit. He, he, he did wrote well. like a lot. He he was very politically active. I think he did. He he either ran for mayor or was mayor of a town at some point. Um, I did see something about got, that, but the the painting style of like the stage, mm-hmm. uh, it felt a little dark for me, and I think that's part. I think it just it didn't feel like. I, I liked the idea of what they were trying to do with trying to sculpt light in that way. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I don't know if that was just the night that we saw it, but it felt like it was a little bit like, uh, you know, when your phone doesn't have the brightness all the way up enough so you can't actually see the image. And it sort of felt yeah, like no, that I, a little bit. I see what you're saying. It felt um, a little sleepy. It worked for me. I like, yeah, yeah I liked it. Cause, I, yeah. Like I said, I like the intent. I just feel like all of the values needed to go up a little bit, not in relation to each other, not like like overall brighter, not like. I didn't like what they were trying to do specifically because I thought it was interesting. It was cool to see it. There's a little bit of art history apocrypha about Delacroix because his very his most famous painting is Liberty Leading yeah. the World, which looks like Les Mis, and it came out before Les Mis, and it right. is about the 1830 revolution, and a lot of people assume it is an illustration of Les Mis, but it actually preceded it. And there's some apocrypha that Hugo was inspired by it. So like, uh, like okay. I mean, they're they're all works of romanticism too. Yeah, and yeah, it's all of one another. Both exactly, art yeah. so it's all interconnected. But yeah, it is Victor Hugo's art specifically. He's is fantastic. I have a great book of his Shit. art, and I'm just mad that someone can do something so much. Yeah. I gotta go look it up. I didn't realize he's that kind of a painter. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, I'm at the Victor Hugo house in Paris. I think most of the paintings are like picked, like portraits of him. But like some of his work is there, and that's pretty. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. It is really cool. Yeah, if you can ever go to the Victor Hugo, and house, it's go. free. Yeah, <laughs> unlike thanks, our France. museums. Thanks, France. Yeah. Not like <laughs> freaking everything else. Yeah. Healthcare. I mean, um, I guess technically you can go into Notre Dame for free, but you can't go into the bell tower. You got to pay. Yeah, for you got to pay. There's coin for the bell tower. Yeah, I was. I but I, I really, on the whole, I, I I thought this was a really good production. I might see it again when it when it rolls through Costa Mesa, which is where they're going next. <laughs> so it'll be even cheaper, a little bit closer. Yeah. To home. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. If you have thoughts on Les Mis, which I'm sure you guys have many, many, many thoughts, please let us know. We are at Musical Splaining with no G on Twitter, at Musical Splaining with a G on Instagram. Uh, I am at. Perma friends on Instagram and at Covetarian on Twitter. Also, for those of you in New York, I'm going to be at New York City Comic Con the weekend of October 12th through the 16th-ish, something around there, whenever those dates are. Um, so come see me if you're in town. If you're going to be at the convention, come pop by. I'll be in Artist Alley. Uh, Lindsay, thank you for joining us. Why don't you tell everybody what you're up to and where they can see what you're up to, etc., so on and so forth. Well, honestly, the the answer right now is uh, we're we're working on Nebula. Um, so I guess by the time this comes out, we'll, we'll 
Uh, we, we just released a video uh, about Jurassic Park and because it's his 30, 30th anniversary. And um, we are uh, currently working on one about uh, the history of Las Vegas being a family-friendly destination. Uh, and that should come out sometime in September. Well, I've, I've I've got books, but they don't come out until next year. So maybe we'll we'll, Soon. we'll have some time to, I saw to the, promote the cover that. of your new book looks great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I was like, I kind of want to play a game of guess what prompts I gave the <laughs> I gave the artist, but maybe we'll play that game uh, later. I will say, like, it was a lot uh, more painless this time. That's good, <laughs> despite the fact that I gave him much weirder prompts. Maybe I should have been doing that the whole time. The whole time, yeah. yeah. Just go more esoteric. And yeah, swing yeah. For the stars. Yeah. Uh, I'm always Y Angelina Y on Twitter and Angelina underscore S E E. And again, um, we don't mention this, but, uh, Les Mis is also a very popular, like high school show now because the rights are there. I have a very bitter story about that. But if you have been in a production, share photos with us because we love oh, that. Oh, boy. Story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Low budget beasts, but for Les Mis. Yeah. Low budget barricades. Low budget. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but thanks again, y'all. Uh, thanks again, Lindsay, for joining us. Thank so you, Lindsay. Thank you. Don't forget to sign so- up for our Patreon. Yeah. Don't forget to follow the sponsor links. Don't forget to leave us good reviews and to tell all your friends and family and, you know, everybody in France about us, especially when you yeah, get out of prison. <laughs> yeah, when you meet God, be like, hey, I listened to uh, Musical Splainer and you'll be absolved of all your sins. Absolutely, you 100%. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. thanks, guys. We'll see you Until at the next, next one. Time.